Turn your Bible, please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. <clears throat> Thank you, Dr. Bob, and all the beautiful music this morning. Amen. And I'm so grateful for our golden kings who were a blessing to all of us and to my own life a while ago, and the silver trio that sang this morning. God bless you. May we bow together in prayer. Our Father, it is a joy and blessing to come into thy presence through the blood of Jesus to thank you for the cross, for the resurrection, the empty tomb, to thank you that Jesus sought us and bought us and has gone to prepare a place for us. Lord, we pray together for our team who has symbolized the concern and compassion of the entire church by going to Texas to share with the Spanish-speaking people along the Rio Grande Valley this glorious gospel. We pray that just now, as the gospel goes out by radio and here in this auditorium, that someone will turn to Christ, receive Him as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to read beginning with chapter 2, verse 1, and then we will go to another section of this same chapter. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were shamefully treated, as you know at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our excitation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who testeth our hearts. For neither at any time use we flattering words, as ye know, nor cloak of maliciousness or covetousness, God is witness, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse, nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Would you turn to verse 19 and 20, same chapter. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and our joy. Paul only spent three weeks in the city of Thessalonica. When he would go to a city, he would not investigate the Holiday Inn or the Hilton Hotel. He'd probably go by to see what the jail was like, because that's more than likely where he would end up. There are a lot of Baptist congregations today who would be ashamed to have Paul as their pastor, because he was always in trouble. He was always in jail, always causing a riot. And I can imagine that some would come by and say, now, preacher, take it a little bit easy. Don't ex get so excited and don't insult the people like you're insulting them. Don't uh, be so, uh, so desirous to see them get saved that you just get all excited and get all beside yourself. 
Everywhere Paul went, he was like that. When he came to Thessalonica, the zeal of the Lord of hosts had consumed him. And he preached for three weeks in the synagogues and other places. And finally a tumult broke out. And in order to protect him, his friends asked Paul to leave the city. But before he left, he had founded the great Thessalonica, the church at Thessalonica, the great Thessalonian church. He went, and went down to Athens. He sent Timothy back to check on the Thessalonians. And Timothy brought a good report. He said, uh, you only preached there three weeks, but oh man, you, Paul, you just gave them the word and they're growing in the grace of the Lord, but they're confused about one thing. Uh, and you know, this is very exciting. New Christians and those who never lose the newness of their faith are always excited about the second coming of Jesus. Now, when you've been a Christian long enough that you no longer are excited about the coming of the Lord, there's something radically wrong. You've become a settler in this world. You sort of settled down and you've decided that everything's going to be just like it always has been. Paul had preached to them about the second coming. And when Timothy gave his report to Paul, he said, Now, sir, Brother Paul, the, the Christians down there are all confused about the coming of the Lord. Some of them think that Jesus has already come and left them behind. And some of them don't know what to think. And so if you look carefully at both 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, you'll notice that in each of these chapters, the end of the chapter, Paul refers to the coming of the Lord. When he gets to chapter 4, he deals with it more extensively, and in chapter 5. And then in 2nd Thessalonians, he deals with it almost exclusively. And as we go through this book, we'll see this. Paul had told them that the world wasn't going to get better and better. It's going to get dark. Sin will march across the pages of history. There'll be a lot of problems. In chapter 1, as we mentioned last Sunday, Paul's theme seems to have been repentance always precedes service. And then, without any fail, service always follows faith. When you get saved, you'll want to serve. And then thirdly, faith always generates discernment. Faith always generates discernment. You will be discerning about things. One of the problems in America, the great United States of America today, and beloved, I believe we are already under the judgment of God. The judgment isn't going to come future, maybe more severely then, but we're already under the judgment of God, and part of that judgment, we have lost our discernment. We can't tell whether things right or wrong. Our courts can't tell whether the thing is art or pornography. Our judges are having a tough time with that. We can't decide whether tobacco is injurious or not injurious because it's a big cash crop. We can't decide whether liquor is a problem or whether it should be, <clears throat> should be accepted because everybody's doing it. <clears throat> we can't decide whether abortion is a proper method of birth control or whether as God says, it is the result of sin. 
we're just all confused. Now remember that faith always generates discernment. And Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? People are more and more yielding to faithlessness. Now in chapter 2, the theme of the entire chapter seems to be right at the end of the chapter. <clears throat> in the early part of this chapter, Paul has dealt with, with some of the criticism that he's had. And it's very obvious people have tried to slander him. People have said, well now Paul, you're just doing this for what's in it. And there are people who preach the gospel for what's in it. They try to profit from preaching the gospel. Paul said, I never did that. I never did ask a penny from you for me. I did for the Lord's work, but not for me. They tried to accuse him of false motives. They said, well, you're just coming with flattering words and you're saying all these nice things, but really you're just doing that for some ulterior motive. And Paul had to deal with all that in those early chapters, in those early verses. And then Paul sums it all up by a tremendous passage that we ought to memorize. For ye are our joy and our crown. Now, in this chapter, I think Paul gives us a hint as to how we can have crowns in the glory. Paul says to the Thessalonian Christians, the reason I came down there is because when we all get to heaven, the thing that will really count are people. Not things, but people. Not what kind of house did I live in? Or what kind of accommodations did I have when I was in your city? Or what kind of clothes I wore? Or how many people liked me? The thing that will really count when all of this is over is how many of you got to heaven. That's the thing that counts. Beloved, that's an awesome thing. And it's not just the responsibility of Brother Paul or the preachers who have preached in his training since his day, but it's the responsibility of every Christian. C.E. Matthews wrote a book called Every Christian's Job. And it's the responsibility of every believer to look forward to the glory. This group sang this morning, Where We'll Never Grow Old. They were talking about heaven. And over in heaven, nobody's ever going to grow old. I don't guess anybody will ever be 50 years old. I don't know whether we get our white color hair back or whether we keep our silver hair or whatever we keep. I don't know. But I know over in heaven, nobody ever gets old. Nobody ever feeble. You'll throw away your canes and your glasses and your false teeth and all those things. And your wheelchairs. And, and everybody will... Dr., Dr. Angel Martinez used to say, everybody in heaven will be 33 years old. So that's the perfect age. That's the age Jesus was when he paid for our sins on the cross. Now Paul sort of picks that up and he says, the real joy of heaven is to, be, is to see you there. That's the reason 
I have ministered like I have with you. And I want to show you just four things about his ministry. Number one, look at verse, in the first few verses, Paul says, I ministered as a faithful steward. Look at verse four. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who testeth our hearts. For neither at any time use we flattering words, as ye know, not as a cloak of maliciousness or covetousness, God is a witness, nor of men saw we glory, neither of you nor of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. In other words, he said, I watched these three things. I did not try to please men, but I pleased God. I did not use flattering words, nor a cloak of covetousness, nor of men sought we glory. But he said, I tried to be a faithful steward among you. Now, beloved, the thing that will cause our lives to touch other lives, the thing that will cause preachers and deacons and Sunday school teachers and believers to touch the lives of other people is for us to be faithful in our stewardship. Now, stewardship is not just something that deals with money. Of course, it deals with money. But it deals with time. It deals with talents. It deals with everything we are. It deals with faithfulness. You know, I'm, I'm impressed when I meet a faithful man or a faithful woman or a faithful boy or girl. Some of you who serve on the bus ministry. You know how you can win some of these precious boys or girls to Jesus and you see them going great for God and then you go by some morning to get them they don't come. You think that's that, that hurts. Somebody you really counted as being faithful and they don't come. And then you have somebody else that comes whether it rains or suns or whatever it is they're there all the time. Now that's just a parable on faithfulness. In the Lord's church, there are some men that are faithful. There are some women that are faithful. In the economy of God, there are some preachers that are faithful. Paul said, that's the thing that's going to really count if we're going to reach others for Christ. Be faithful. A faithful steward for the Lord. Beloved, the one thing that probably is more important than anything else in our Christian life after we get saved and we fall in love with Jesus and Jesus' love just pours like liquid love through our lives into the lives of others is faithfulness. Now, faithfulness is straight down the line in all things. Faithfulness in our prayer life. Faithfulness in our understanding and reading and studying the Word of God. Faithfulness in giving God the talents He's given to us. Everybody here has a gift. Everybody here has a spiritual gift. Every little boy, every little girl, every big boy, every big girl, every man, every woman, every old person, all the golden gems, everyone has something very, very unique about your life. As you discover your spiritual gift and you give that to Jesus. Let him use you. You know, I appreciate the silver trio that stood up here. 
Miss Claycomb is a dear Christian, 83 years old. Goes like she's 40. And she said, uh, you know, I don't think we sing very good. And she said that, I didn't. And she said, I don't know why you want us to sing again. You know why I want them to sing? Of course, I think they sound good. But the reason I want them to sing is because they're faithful. And they're examples. I said to Mr. Wingfields, where I'm glad we have an alto in the choir. All the rest of our altos, I think, are in Texas. <laughs> but she's there. When it rains, Miss Abby Robertson is here, unless she's waiting on somebody that's sick. When it snows, the same thing. You see, faithfulness is very important. Boys and girls that come on the buses, listen, listen to me carefully. You come on the bus, you need to be there every Sunday morning, every, every time the bus pastor comes by to get you, you need to say, yes, I'm ready to go. I want to go. And you have to initiate it because a lot of times your parents don't initiate it. Right or wrong. You have to do it. Sunday school teachers, we need to say, the Lord, by the grace of God, I'm going to be there. They're going to have a birthday celebration. We'll celebrate on Monday. We're going to have some other kind of thing we're going to have to celebrate on Saturday. You know, I have a, I don't like to be telling personal illustrations all the time. I wish every one of you knew my mother. She is a godly, precious, sweet Christian. I think perhaps the most unusual Christian I've met. Poured a lot of her life into me when I was a young boy. When Christmas comes... If it comes on a day when we have church, she never expects her children to be home for Christmas. She said, you need to be down there preaching. When her birthday comes, why she would never expect me to be at her place on, on her birthday. She said, you need to be down there in your place of service. She says that to my sister, who's not a preacher. I hope and I pray. She says that to my two brothers. Now, moms and dads in this old church, you can help your kids a whole lot by being faithful, by saying, if Sunday comes and we have some kind of celebration, we're going to have it on Monday or Saturday, but we're not going to take Jesus' day to do it. We're going to be faithful. Straight down the line. You won't like what I'm saying. That's okay. I love you anyway. <laughs> God bless you. Paul is saying, if you really want to be an impression on somebody's life, be faithful. Husbands, don't ever give your wife a reason to suspect you. Just be faithful. Straight down the line. Burn up all the old love letters and all the old pictures. And don't be like some of these Characters that go to these factories and some guy sort of having some tough times at home so he pours out his heart to some swooning woman over at the factory and she just sits there, yeah, yeah, tell me more. And after a while, he's told her too much. There is more adultery and more unfaithfulness going on because of that kind of thing than this world would ever dream of. And I'll tell you, it's a sin. Amen. Women, it's a sin for you to do that. Men, it's a sin for you to do that. 
Be faithful. If you're God's child, be faithful. Paul said, what is our joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of the Lord? And he said, the reason I've been able to influence you is because I tried to be a faithful student. Now my time is up and I've just gotten through one point. I'll start here next time, tonight. My beloved friends, do you really want to make an impress on somebody else's life? I can tell you how to do it. Just be faithful. First of all, receive Christ as your Savior. Know Him as your Lord. And then be faithful to Him. Serve Him. Love Him. I, Jesus, I love Thee. I know Thou art mine. For Thee all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art Thou. If ever I love Thee, my Jesus is now. Someday in heaven, Someone's going to come to you and say, All hail, beloved, but for you, my soul to death had been a prey. If it hadn't been for you, I wouldn't be here in heaven. That's the thing that's important. Now, now let me say this before I close. Paul did not always tickle the ears of the people he talked to. Sometimes, the teaching of the truth and the standing for the truth and the preaching of the truth will make you some enemies. Paul said, I didn't come down there with flattering words just to make you feel good, pat you on the back, ignore your problems and sins. I didn't do that. He said to, when he was writing to the, talking to the Ephesians just before he was to see them no more, he said, I am free from the blood of all men. I have been faithful in declaring the counsel of God. Would you be faithful to Jesus? Faithfulness. Jesus said to the church at Smyrna, you're going to suffer. You're going to have some tough times. But be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee the crown of life. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that Paul was willing to pour his life into the Thessalonian Christians. Just those three weeks. But because he was a faithful man of God and stood for you not just those three weeks, but all through those over 35 years you gave him as a soldier of Jesus Christ, that God used him and everywhere he went, he touched people's lives for eternity. Father, we pray that thou wilt call some men and women from this place, young boys, young girls, who will say by the grace of God, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be a faithful steward to the Lord of glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. this morning softly and tenderly Jesus is called what page is that 347 347 would you turn there please and listen to the word of God in life. Jesus is just softly and tenderly speaking to your heart 
friend, if you've never been saved, I want to ask you to give your heart to Jesus this morning. Now listen, Jesus died for us on the cross. He who knew no sin literally became sin for us. Find the book and then look at me. Just, just find that song, 347. Some of you primaries don't really need the book. Just look right up here at me, please. Teachers, help me to look at me. That's right. Now listen. The Lord wants to live in your heart. But you have to invite him. You see, Jesus is a gentleman. He never forces it away in your life. He just knocks. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you'd open the door to him, he'd come in. If you're not positive, you'd go to heaven if you died today. But you'd like to have Jesus in your heart. You'd like to say, I want to give him my life and my heart. I want to ask you to come. I'm going to be standing down here. Come and say, I want Jesus in my heart today. Would someone do that? While we begin to sing, you step out for Christ the King.